Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. They will be trampled like mud in the streets, right? So here's Micah just like, you think you won, but you haven't won. So I think this isn't so much a message to the enemy as it is a message of encouragement to the believer. Though you fall, well, let them pick you up. Though it feels like you're sitting in darkness, let the Lord be your light. Though it feels like, I mean, the enemy is surrounding you and coming in, closing in on you. No, no, surrender that fight to the Lord. Would you agree that the human race can be downright ugly in both words and actions? All of us do the wrong thing at times. Most times it's unintentional, but then there's those moments where we're doing it completely intentionally. The prophet Micah had a really heavy message to give to the two nations, but he was able to say that Jesus loved them. No matter what you've done or said, he loves you too. So Pastor James asks today, will you let Jesus restore you so you can be like a freshly fallen snowflake, clean and beautiful? Now here's Pastor James in the book of Micah chapter 7 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. Therefore, I will make an example of you, bringing you to complete ruin. You will be treated with contempt, mocked by all who see you. Now you read through this, this sentence, and your thought process should be, that's too much. And that's the point, especially for us on this side of the cross and empty tomb, looking back and reading through some of these Old Testament passages where you're just like, oh my goodness, this is... Now, when you understand the context and the histor- you know, all the historical elements to these stories of just the, the depravity that the people of God were just throwing themselves fully into, you can understand like, well, you're kind of getting what you deserve, but man, this is, this is a lot. Here's what I want to kind of phrase out for you. When you read through this, just envision Jesus on the cross, because All of this punishment that was deserving of us was poured out onto him. Like all of this was like what Jesus took upon himself for the sake of my sins, for the sake of my sins. And I look at this list and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is just, I'm going to wound you. Well, he was wounded for my transgressions. He was wounded for my transgressions. He was, he was mocked to tremendously. All of this, and when they see, like, this is the consequences of sin. This is the consequences of decisions made by individuals and by a people who are supposed to represent God to all nations. And they failed at that. They failed at that completely, just mean in the the worst way possible. And God's like, okay, so I'm going to send in the, the enemies to destroy you, to take you away captive. So I, I would always encourage you as you're reading through some of these passages and you see some of this stuff that like it's this judgment that gets poured out onto his people, just always, always, always understand that, man, judgment was poured out onto Jesus for your sins. He took, them all, he took it all. He took it all for you and for myself. So what we deserved, he took freely. And man, I just, 
hopefully, I mean, hopefully that humbles us, but also encourages us. They're like, yeah, I mean, I fit this, I fit within this list. Like, there's no doubt about it. Like, what they were guilty of, I do as well. I do as well. I may not have like an Asherah pole in my backyard, right? Which I don't, by the way, I don't. Just one giant palm tree and a china berry tree. And, but we're not dancing around the thing at all. We're not doing any of that stuff. But that doesn't mean that these idols haven't, haven't at some point in time occupied space within my heart and within my mind. And God would have every right to do the same thing to me that he did to Israel. Except Jesus stepped in. He stepped in my place, and he, he took all that for, for me and for you, and, and it's beautiful and it's amazing, which also makes us appreciate chapter 7 a little bit more as well, because this is where you get like, I mean, this, this whole the rest of this chapter, chapter 7, it, it's all about God. It, it, the God who we serve, is a, he's a faithful God, he's a, a righteous God, and he's a, a pardoning God. So chapter 7, verse 1, how miserable I am. This is Micah, obviously crying out, and he's just like going through, he just went through that whole courtroom scenario, which is essentially, I mean, we can go back into the first chapter where you, you see this play out, but it brings us to, to Micah landing the plane, so to speak, of this letter that he got to write, inspired by the Holy Spirit, how miserable I am. I feel like the fruit picker after the harvest who can find nothing to eat. A single early fig can be found to satisfy my hunger. The godly people have all disappeared. Not one honest person is left on earth. They are all murderers setting traps even for their own brothers. A little exaggerated, right? We, we understand that. If you, don't, if you don't believe that, just read 1 Kings chapter 18, okay? You got a prophet whose name is Elijah who kind of went through the same thing. Which is common for, I mean, if these mighty men of God are going through this and you find yourself going through that, you're in good company. If you ever feel like, I'm the only one, I'm the only one, right? You're like, well, no, you're not. But, you know, other people have felt that same way, okay? And God uses them to write chapters and books in the Bible, okay? So here's Micah. He's just like, oh, man, this is bad. I, I feel, I just feel in, in despair is, is kind of what he's, he's phrasing out here. He says, verse 3, both their hands are equally skilled at doing evil. Officials and judges alike demand bribes. The people with influence get what they want, and together they scheme to twist justice. Huh. We sure this was written thousands of years ago? <laughs> it seems like this, I, I, it seems like this is... Well, this has been true of every generation. This has been true of every generation, okay? So we're not unique, and what we see happening is not unique to just to us. All throughout history, this same thing has been, has been lived out, okay? People are, again, he's, he's just bummed out, man. People are like, the, the wicked seem to be winning, is kind of what he's saying. Like, the ones who want to do right are... It, it seems like we're losing, and the ones who want to do wicked stuff seems like they're winning. But what we see is not always reality. How you perceive things to be isn't always how it actually is, okay? 
He says they, they get what they want. They're twisting justice. Even the best of them is like a briar. The most honest is, is as dangerous as a hedge of thorns. But your judgment day is coming swiftly now. Your time of punishment is here, a time of confusion. Don't trust anyone, not your best friend or even your wife. Side note, when I was in Bible college, we, we had this thing. It was, when we chose to do this thing, it was horrible because it would always happen in class. There's always a group of us guys that would... We just look up random verses in the Bible and rewrite them down. Because the thing to do at Bible college was like, hey, the Lord gave me a verse for you. You know, that was like the spiritual thing to do, right? I say, you know, use quotations because most of the time it's like passive aggressive or whatever. But <laughs> we'd always find these random verses. And this would be like one of those verses where we would write down and be like, hey, the Lord really told me to give this to you. And then it'd be just something totally off. And you're like, what in the world? And <laughs> So you'd see you get passed around the class, and then somebody just start cracking up in the middle of class because they, they got your verse, and this would be one of those. So I, I don't encourage you to send this out to anybody. I don't think anybody's going to be posting this on uh, Facebook or Instagram or anything like that. But anyways, this is spoken to a people where confusion was going on. The enemy was coming in, and Mike is just letting them know, like, it's just madness, just madness. He says that the, the son's going to despise his father. The daughter defies her, her mother. Daughter-in-law defies her mother-in-law. And your enemies are right in your own household. And then you're like, well, wait a minute. Maybe this is my family verse. Well, I hope it's not. Um, you're like, I got a family reunion coming up. And this is pretty much how it is. No, he's just saying everybody is at war with everybody. And guess what happens when you turn your back on the Lord and you turn away from the Lord? Chaos ensues. And it creeps in, man, and it can creep into the family. And look, I mean, raising a family is hard enough anyways, even if you're doing it right. But Israel, and in their families, quote unquote, within the nation, they're like totally doing it all wrong. And Mike is like, hey, don't be surprised if you can't even trust the people in your own household, because it's chaotic, because you guys have, for them, they've walked away. They've walked away. But here's Micah's response to this, though. This is what's cool. This is the hope that you and I need. As for me, this is Micah, I look to the Lord for help. I wait confidently, underlined. I don't know if that's what yours says in your Bible, but New Living Translation, that's what mine says. I wait confidently for God to save me, and my God will certainly listen or hear me. Here's what he does. Three things. Look, wait, and pray. Look, wait, and pray. So when all the madness is going on in your life, and let's say maybe verse 6 is a description of your family, what do I do? What do I do? Look, wait, and pray. That's what you do. Be like Micah. Micah has hope in this situation. He has hope in this scenario. And his hope comes from the Lord who he is keeping his eyes on. He's looking unto the Lord. He is waiting patiently and confidently in the Lord because he knows I'm praying to God. He hears my prayers. So does Micah know when it's going to happen? No. No. Can he confidently even say it's going to happen in his lifetime? No. No. But he knows God is faithful. He knows God is faithful. And he knows that this life this existence he has on this planet is way more than just about him. 
So he's going to wait. He's going to keep his eyes on the Lord. He's going to wait patiently and with confidence on God. And he's going to keep praying to God. Even if I don't see it, I trust that the Lord can do it. That's how it is. So now he goes into this next section where it's verses 8 through 13. This is going to highlight that our God is a righteous God. He says, do not gloat over me, my enemies, for though I fall, I will rise again. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. I will be patient as the Lord, what, punishes me. Whoa, wait a minute. I don't like that verse at all. The second part, for I have sinned against him. Oh, okay. But I still don't like that verse. Like, I don't want, well, the Lord disciplines those whom he loves is what the book of Hebrews tells us. So if I step out on the Lord, you know what? What I should do is sit patiently through those spankings, so to speak, because that correction is what my heart needs. It's what my heart needs. But Micah's like, hey, don't gloat over me, my enemies. Oh, don't think you got me. Oh, don't think you won, because you don't win. The enemy never wins. It may look like he's winning, and it may look in your, like in your life that he has won. Oh, no, no, no. He has not won. He has not won. So don't celebrate. Don't celebrate too quickly. We've all seen those stories, I think, right, of the individuals in races. I've, there's several of them out there. If you're crazy enough to like race around a track, which I don't understand that at all, but running is good for you. Sure, it's awesome. But you always see these races where the person who is so far out in front, and then they're approaching the finish line, they think they just got it. And then they start kind of like boasting a little bit and how they're like, you know, the shoulders go back a little bit more, chest comes out, and they're just like waving to the fans. I've seen this happen many times in races. They're already like, where's my ribbon? Where's my medal? Like, I haven't even crossed the line yet, but you just get it ready for me. And then zoom, somebody else runs right past them. And then they're like, what, 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 what? That's like, that's the enemy. The enemy doesn't have victory over you. He doesn't have, no, no, no. I will wait confidently for God to save me. I'll wait confidently for God to rescue me. My God will certainly hear me. That was verse seven. Don't gloat over me. Though I fall, I will rise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Right? I will be patient as the Lord punishes me, for I have sinned against him. But after that, he will take up my case and give me justice for all I have suffered from my enemies. The Lord will bring me into the light, and I will see his righteousness. Then my enemies will see that the Lord is on my side. They will be ashamed that they taunted me, saying, so where is the Lord, that God of yours? With my own eyes, I will see their downfall. They will be trampled like mud in the streets, right? So here's Micah just like, you think you won, but you haven't won. So I think this isn't so much a message to the enemy as it is a message of encouragement to the believer. Though you fall, well, let them pick you up. Though it feels like you're sitting in darkness, let the Lord be your light. Though it feels like, I mean, the enemy is surrounding you and coming in, closing in on you. No, no, surrender that fight to the Lord. Surrender that light to the Lord. Let him bring you into the light. Let him show to you, not just you, but to those who may be surrounding you or the enemy may be surrounding you, let him reveal his righteousness in the story, in the story. This isn't about you picking up you know, your weapons to go to battle. 
This is about you and I resting in the fact that he's the one who fights our battles. He's the one who picks us up. We are the ones who fall down. Make no mistake about it. We are the ones who fall down. But he is the one who picks us up. He is the one who who will come to your defense, so to speak. The Lord is on your side. Even if they're saying to you, so where where is your God? Right? That's a question we've seen throughout the scriptures. That may be a question that you've even been asked from people that you love and care about the most. Where is your God? Right? Look at your life. If God is real, then why is your life like this? Have you ever gotten that question before? If you haven't, then, well, hold on tight, because it might be coming your way, all right? You say, Look, I, my God is not, like, defined by my circumstances. Like, he's beyond my circumstances. And whatever I'm going through right now, I'm going through because he's allowing this to happen. That you want to know where my God is, just hold on. Just wait and see. Then I'll show you my God. Mike is like, just wait. I, I'm going to keep looking. I'm going to keep waiting. I'm going to keep praying. That's what I'm going to do. He says in verse 11, in that day, Israel, your cities will be rebuilt and your borders will be extended for uh, people from many lands will come to honor you from Assyria all the way to the towns of Egypt, from Egypt all the way to the Euphrates River and from distant seas and mountains. But the land will become empty and desolate because the wickedness of those who live there. So again, he's seen this like dual prophecy kind of thing. And it will be fulfilled, but then the bonus of it will be fulfilled, but then also the desolate and all that stuff is going to be fulfilled. It's just, it, it, it's kind of hard to gauge like, well, what's what, right? Like the point of this is Jesus is going to come back and he will establish his throne in Jerusalem. Okay, he will establish it. But we've seen glimpses of this all throughout history. In fact, but we saw in uh, 1948, Israel becomes a nation again in one day, which is crazy because I think that's referenced in Isaiah 66, I believe. could be wrong. But in one day, Israel was restored again. And if you were to go over to Israel back then, it wasn't like, wasn't all that amazing to look at as far as the land goes, okay? Now, if you go over there today, it's just like, it's incredible. Yeah. It's incredible. Like, how, how smart they are in the irrigation stuff that they've established where they turn dry and arid land into paradise almost. It's incredible what they've done with this place. So you're kind of seeing glimpses of it like, when is this? But is this a total fulfillment? No, not yet. Just wait. Just wait till the Lord comes back. That's right. Just wait. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be amazing. But Micah's seen like glimpses of all this stuff. Verse 14, though, he goes into this last little section here where our God is, he's a, a God who can pardon your sins, okay? He's a God who delights in mercy. Oh, Lord, protect your people with your shepherd's staff. Uh, he is a good shepherd, John chapter 10. John chapter 10, read that chapter. He's a good shepherd. He loves you. You're his sheep. He loves you. Lead your flock, your special possession. Though they live alone in a thicket on the heights of Mount Carmel, it says, let them graze on the fertile pastures of Bashan and Gilead as they did long ago. Yes, says the Lord, I will do mighty miracles for you, like those I did when I rescued you from slavery in Egypt. All the nations of the world will stand amazed at what the Lord will do for you. They will be embarrassed at their feeble power. They will cover their mouths in silent awe, deaf to everything around them, like snakes crawling from their holes. They will come out to meet the Lord our God. They will fear him greatly, trembling in terror at his presence. 
Verse 18, where is another God like you? Or who is like Yahweh? Or another way to say that, that verse right there, Micah, because that's what his name means. Who is like Yahweh? Who pardons the guilt of the remnants, overlooking the sins of his special people? Will you not stay angry with your people forever because you delight in showing unfailing love? Once again, you will have compassion on us. You will trample our sins under your feet and throw them into the depths of the ocean. You will show us your faithfulness and unfailing love as you promised to our ancestors, Abraham and Jacob, long ago. What a way to end a letter. Like, my goodness, you go through this whole letter, and just for the sake of context, it's like, we're guilty. We are so bad. We're so guilty. And God has every right to punish us. Oh, and by the way, he will send in the Assyrians to punish us. Oh, but he loves you. He loves you so much. And then you read that last part of of chapter 7, you're just like, yeah, who is like Yahweh? Nobody's like Yahweh. Nobody's like our God. Who pardons the guilt of the remnant? He pardons the guilt because there is guilt there, because there is sin there. But who does that? God does. Who overlooking the sins of his special people? Now, that overlooking doesn't mean that he turns a blind eye to that. Okay, so please understand that. He's not like, oh, I didn't see that. You know, he's not saying that. But he, he makes a way for the covering of that, so to speak. Well, who does that? God. He doesn't stay angry with his people forever. Why? Because he delights in showing unfailing love. What's true about how God felt about Israel is how he feels about you. It's how he feels about you. He has unfailing love for you. He has compassion on you. He, has, he hasn't just trampled your sins under his feet. He nailed them to his son on the cross. It's done. As far as Psalm 103, verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so I will remember your sins no more. I'll throw them into the depths of the ocean. Well, how deep is the ocean? Deep enough. Deep enough. You'll show your faithfulness and unfailing love. There's the unfailing love just brought up again. Just so a good reminder, because repetition means you need to pay attention to it. He shows his faithfulness to you. He shows his unfailing love to you, just as he has promised Abraham and Jacob. And just so you understand, the promises made to Abraham and to Jacob apply to you. Okay? They apply to you as well. You're like, I'm not Jewish. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Because you've been grafted in part of the family. So the promises made to Abraham and Jacob still apply to you and to me. So the love that he had, the the faithfulness he had shown to them, the unfailing love he had shown to them, he still is in the business of showing that to you and I today. So you can go through this whole letter and it's like, I mean, you get the highs and the lows and like, it's just, it's bad and they deserve to get punished for sure. But yet, Still, God was so loving and gracious and compassionate. It's amazing. If anything, that should teach us, like, it's grace. It's grace that encourages holiness. It's his kindness that leads to repentance. It's his grace that's going to transform your life. It's going to transform your life. It'll take your relationship with him to that next level. When you start digging deeper into the grace of God. 
You've been listening to Bread for the Broken in a series that you just don't want to miss. Pastor James Grizzle has been walking through the messages that God gave to the prophets in the times that Judah and Israel were not only holding God at arm's length, but also suffering under oppression. It doesn't sound too different than when I let my own selfishness drive my decisions. Am I alone in that? What's amazing to me is that God's love for His children isn't conditional. I love that it's not dependent on what I do or what I don't do, but He does desire an authentic relationship with you and me, a friendship that isn't second best. I urge you to not replace Him with the things of this world that eventually fade away. Will you join us Sunday morning at 10 a.m. or Thursday night at 7 p.m. to hear more of God's Word? For those of you that can't make it in person, don't worry. We live stream all of our services just for you. So find us on Facebook today. We like to keep faith simple and uncomplicated. So if you're looking for that and a laid-back atmosphere, then you'll be right at home with us. To find out more, head on over to breadforthebroken.com. Once again, that's breadforthebroken.com. While you're there, look around a little. You'll find our location, a bunch of archived messages, and a place to give to the ministry. We'd love to have you partner with us as we praise the mighty name of the Lord Jesus together. And with that, we're coming to the end of our time together today. We're so glad you decided to spend your day with us here on Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of you.